Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and unpack it into relatable concepts. I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and today we're talking first about scars and then about stretch marks. Why do each of these occur? And why are some okay and some really bad? What can be done about them? We'll get into all of that and hopefully clear up any questions you have. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion. It is not intended to give formal medical advice, but instead you can use it to gain insight, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. So settle in for a listen and enjoy. Scars. Everyone seems to have one somewhere, and most people don't want them. Though interestingly, there are some cultures and individual people who have intentionally created scars by wounding the skin in certain patterns for a desired effect, almost like a 3D tattoo. This is called scarification. But we're not talking about intentional scars today. We're talking about how to manage unwanted scars and reduce their appearance. In the plastic surgery world, scars are the bane of every surgeon's existence, and of course the patient's too. But what are they really? Well, in general, scar tissue is the aftermath of the body's process for healing some type of injury. For our purposes today, we are talking about external scars, or those visible on the surface of the skin. But be assured, our body has a similar process for healing itself on the inside. When there is a wound in the skin, whether from a surgical incision or a traumatic event like an accident, the body must seal up that wound in order to protect itself from vulnerability to infection or other problems. Our skin is soft and flexible, but it is also our barrier against many threats the outside world has to offer. Healing is a complex process, but to simplify for our purposes here, basically the body bleeds at the site of the injury, then the blood clots. This chemically signals an inflammatory response, kind of like a rescue mission, and certain specialized cells are deployed to flock to the area and start cleaning up the situation and successfully fight any invaders like bacteria. By the way, if at some point the sheer number of bacteria are high enough that they overwhelm the inflammatory cells, for instance in a really dirty wound, then that's when an infection can ensue. Any pus from an infected area is largely made up of dead inflammatory cells or white blood cells who died fighting the battle. Fortunately, most wounds do not end up infected. Now, back to the healing. Other cells then migrate to the area of the wound and start laying down the structural building blocks needed to pull things together and seal the skin back up. It's not as neatly organized as the beautiful design of the original skin, but it gets the job done. And not only that, this scar or healed tissue often seems stronger than the original skin with less elasticity. Again, it's the body's way of fortifying that area to try to avoid another wound or vulnerability. Now, that's all well and good for the survival of our species, but the scar that is laid down can be problematic at times. It could continue to contract or tighten as it heals and create puckering or a contracture. This could result in either a functional problem by restricting movement or a cosmetic problem by looking unnatural. In some cases, the healing process can be very aggressive. This can happen in areas of the body that have thicker skin, or if there's normally a lot of tension or movement in the region, like across a joint. 
the body finds that scar needs to be extra strong to do its job, so the scar may be overgrown and thicker. That's called a hypertrophic scar, where the word root hyper means excessive and trophic relating to growth. But in the worst case scenario, this healing process can go truly haywire and not know when to stop, such as in the formation of what's called a keloid scar. A keloid doesn't stop when the wound is fully healed. It can keep growing and growing, almost becoming like a tumor, though not malignant. Keloid scars are often itchy and unpleasant to look at. Fortunately, we don't see these very often, but they can be very devastating and difficult to eradicate. Many times the tendency to form keloids is hereditary, and more frequently they can be seen in patients with some degree of pigmentation of the skin. In terms of location, more commonly they occur in the area of the body that extends from the level of the earlobes to the level of the mid-chest, but certainly not exclusively. So, is a surgical incision different than a traumatic wound in terms of healing and scar formation? Well, yes and no. They both heal by a similar process, but a surgical scar has the advantage of being planned or oriented in a direction that will have less tension on it in the future and hopefully will be thinner as a result. In addition, the suturing or stitching of a wound brings the wound edges very close together, so the body does not have far to go in terms of healing it closed. This helps it to heal a little faster and again gives it the best chance of being a thin scar in the future. In particular, the surgeon carefully sews layer by layer to achieve a strong but fine closure, reducing chances of future scar visibility. But despite best attempts, those good intentions don't always work out, and a scar can still end up more visible or unpleasant than desired. In these situations, it largely relates to the quality of the skin of the patient. Some skin, based on genetics, is always destined to form thicker, more noticeable scars no matter what is done to try to prevent it. Of course, with unplanned wounds to the skin, such as from an accident, no one can control where or how the skin is cut, so the surgeon repairing the injury will do the best they can to realign jagged skin edges and get the best closure possible. Occasionally, patients will say they intend to go to a plastic surgeon for a procedure so they, quote, won't have a scar. And yes, a plastic surgeon will be meticulous with every wound closure. But what patients don't realize sometimes is that no matter what, everyone will be left with some degree of scar. What differs from person to person is how visible the scar is after time. For some lucky people, you can hardly see it anymore. The only time there has ever been a situation with no scar is in the rare occasion that a procedure has had to be performed on a fetus still in the uterus. We all have amazing healing abilities at that stage of life. So in terms of scar, what could someone expect after a surgery or after suturing of a wound? And what could be done to make the scar look as good as possible later down the road? Well, the early healing scar is typically pink and noticeable for a few months. That is called an immature scar. During this time, it is going through a remodeling process, refining itself, and becoming a little more flexible, as well as fading color, though staying strong. At the end of several months, or a year, in the best case scenario, the scar is typically faded to a little line, and is then called a mature scar. Now, it may not go as smoothly as that for some people. Occasionally, the maturation process can take a couple of years more. Or, 
a patient may also unfortunately go on to develop a hypertrophic scar or even a keloid scar. But what can be done to help the general maturation process and to hopefully end up with the least noticeable scar? Most surgeons will have a post-operative scar protocol they recommend for their patients. This should be started after the initial wound healing. It often includes one or more of the following. Scar cream with emollients and sometimes active ingredients. Massage on a regular basis for a few weeks to months. Coverage with steri-strips, tape, or silicone sheeting, which reduce tension on the skin, among other effects. And sometimes external pressure to help flatten the future scar. At that point, the surgeon will typically watch how the scar matures over the next few months with these small interventions. But what if the scar starts to thicken or become problematic? Well, there are some more aggressive treatments that can be implemented. This second line of treatment, if you will, often might include a topical steroid cream. The steroid has anti-inflammatory effects and can help slow down aggressive healing. If the cream didn't work well enough, then steroid injections can be employed. Steroid treatment can be a great way to combat a difficult scar, but quite often extended time and multiple treatments are needed for best results. Caution must be taken, however, because a steroid can actually have a side effect of thinning out the skin. That's okay for the scar itself and is the desired effect, but it can also thin out the surrounding skin because the steroid can inadvertently spread to a close-by area of normal skin. Thinned-out skin starts to show through the underlying small blood vessels, which can leave the area looking pink and therefore even more noticeable. Similarly, a higher concentration of steroid can reduce pigmentation of the skin, also making the region more noticeable. If steroid fails to make enough improvement, there are some other chemical compounds similar to chemotherapy, which can be used on the surface of the scar or injected. Judiciously, of course, since we don't want to create new problems such as skin breakdown. And there are even reports of Botox injections for hypertrophic scars being studied at the time of this recording. Beyond injections, the next tier of options includes having a series of laser or light treatments to try to blend or fade the scar. For these, success is not always predictable, yet they are easily done and often worth the effort for a resistant scar problem. Recently, there has been good success reported using what's called fractionated laser treatment to improve the appearance of problematic scars and possibly reduce scar contracture, particularly of burn scars. Fractionated means the laser hits the skin in a grid pattern, leaving behind some small, non-treated areas to help with overall healing after the laser. And there are also some newer techniques and wavelengths that may allow safer treatment of darker skin, which can sometimes be more prone to injury or breakdown from laser treatment. Another category or treatment option, if a problematic scar fails to be improved by topical or injectable treatments, could be what's called a scar revision. That means surgical excision or cutting out of the old scar and suturing the surrounding normal skin closed. This, of course, creates a new scar, which will be a little longer than the first one, but gives things the chance to start over and hopefully heal better. Preventative topical treatments or injections could even be added right after surgery as well to boost the chance of healing without problematic scar, though no guarantees. One area where surgical excision is particularly helpful is with deep acne scars, sometimes called ice pick scars. 
lasers and topicals have trouble getting down into the deepest parts of these scars. So very small surgical excisions can be just right and can be done in the office with a local anesthetic. Yet like anything, there is no absolute assurance that starting over with surgical excision and reclosure will result in a more favorable scar. There is always the risk that things could turn out worse, particularly in a keloid situation. So sometimes more aggressive treatments, such as low-dose radiation, can be added after the surgical revision to knock down the body's revved-up tendency to scar. I've had some nice success with that in a few of my own patients in the past, but it's not always predictable, and certainly there can be risk involved. It's not right for some regions of the body. Of course, any of these options would be considered only after a formal professional consultation to see what is best for each individual patient's situation. So now, let's shift our focus to stretch marks. What are they, and how do they form? Stretch marks are stripes of thinned out skin over areas of the body which may have seen rapid growth at some point, and they can appear in both men and women. The enlargement or stretch of that body part overwhelms the elasticity of the skin's deeper layer called the dermis. In this situation, the dermis under the skin gives way, stretches, and thins out significantly. Examples might be an abdomen in pregnancy, any area of the body with rapid weight gain, or perhaps even growth spurts in an adolescent. When the dermis is thinner under one small strip of skin and the adjacent surrounding skin still has a thick dermis under surface, then the overall appearance of the skin, as viewed from above, can take on a wrinkled or striped look, like the appearance of a rubber sheet that has some permanently stretched out areas. Often these stretch marks have a faded color, but alternatively they can be darker than the surrounding skin. Both situations can be cosmetically undesirable to some people. But a word of warning, be a little wary. There are lots of advertised treatments and several may actually help, but unfortunately, none has a perfect solution. Stretch marks are nearly impossible to fully eradicate, but the appearance can be certainly improved to make them less noticeable. Mild or temporary improvements can be seen from topical treatments, but laser or energy-based treatments to tighten the skin or blend to the surrounding skin a little bit are more promising. Though again, none of these is making the stretch marks completely go away. The only thing that would do that is surgical excision. Yet surgery would leave a scar. And then we're back to square one with this podcast episode. But who knows? Maybe surgical excision is preferable to a particular person, depending upon what part of the body is involved. For example, if the stretch marks are on the lower abdomen and the patient is already planning a tummy tuck, bingo! Some or all of the stretch marks may be able to be removed as part of the excess skin that will be taken. That's taking care of two problems with one solution. But as always, each person's case is different, so it's essential to consult with your surgeon to see what might be possible. And new treatment ideas are cropping up all the time in the exciting field of plastic surgery. So stay tuned. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. 
It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded. Thank you.